0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. The title of today's sermon is Kill Him or Crown Him, taken from a relatively well-known Tim Keller quote that you have in your notes, those of you who have notes. Jesus cannot be just liked. His claims about himself make you kill him or crown him. Those are the options. (laughs) We're going to see that today as Jesus is in a trial in front of the Roman governor named Pilate. We're starting at verse 28. Read with me, John 18, starting at verse 28. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them. They wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if you weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus replied, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime, but you have custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Lord, we need you to teach us your word today. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to distract us from our distractions right now. God, we have relational junk that we brought into the room We have a lack of mind space from endless streaming on Netflix that we brought into this room. We brought worries and concerns about the war in Ukraine into this room. We brought hurt and pain into this room. And God, these things are true, many of them. And yet we're asking your Holy Spirit to calm us down and tell us what is more true. What is true with a capital T. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would show us today by your power, how your suffering, how this trial, how your cross, and how your resurrection imminently affect the way we are to see the world and love the world and respond to the world in 2022. God, those of us who love you, show us how we are to be your hands and feet here and now because of a crucifixion that was 20 centuries ago. God, allow your word to read us, to call us out, to equip us and to encourage us And Jesus, if we've never seen your face before, allow it to save us today. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people said, amen. Amen. No takers, your first blank. We're starting on a lively note, just to encourage you guys. Hypocrisy is normal for those who've decided to kill Jesus. Here's your first blank. Hypocrisy is normal for those who've decided to kill Jesus. So let's just breathe in and breathe out. And to a certain degree, quit our whining. We all love to point out hypocrisy in everyone else. But since we're human, that is the pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? There are hypocrites called humans. And then there's Jesus. And those are the only two categories. Verse 28. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning because that's when you're supposed to have religious trials according to Levitical law. Insert chuckle here from my Sunday school kids. Totally illegal. Everything about this is illegal. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. Well, why does he need a further trial? Didn't they answer that later in the text? Rome doesn't allow secondary governments beneath them to execute. They want Jesus dead. That's why they're going to Pilate. His accusers didn't go inside to Pilate's headquarters in Jerusalem. These religious leaders who are accusing Jesus won't go inside because it would make them ritually defiled. Are you kidding me? We can condemn an innocent man and that's fine. We can still go to church tomorrow and feel fine about ourselves. No blood here. But going inside the government headquarters of an occupying power, we believe that they are antithesis to Messiah. Messiah is gonna come to push away Rome. We don't realize Messiah is here to push away my sin. We have the definition of defilement. Where the Bible scholars crying out, crucify him. A pagan jerk like Pilate, who from extracurricular, extra biblical sources, we find out he's a horrible human being. He should be finding out from the religious leaders. He should be hearing the goodness of God. Don't blame him, he's on the outside. He doesn't know Yahweh. You should be testifying to him. Instead, we come not for him to judge, but just to carry out the judgment we've already decided. We've already decided Jesus is guilty. We've already decided Jesus is a liar. This is the only one who can crucify, so let's go talk to him. You seriously aren't going to eat Passover because of going into Pilate's headquarters, that'll defile you. But killing the innocent won't. I think Jesus addressed this already. He said, related to eating things that are unclean, woe to you religious leaders, you hypocrites. You will strain your water to make sure you don't swallow a gnat. But you'll swallow a camel. And Jesus didn't leave us twisting into the wind as as to what he meant in his criticism. He said, you are spending so much energy on tiny little minutia in the law of God and being very public about how religiously devoted you are to the minutia. And the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy are gone. And you call yourself pastor. This is what the Pharisees are the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. The other Gospels tell us they're the ones actually in the crowd, inciting the crowd to shout out, crucify him. Guys, this is normal. And whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, you will be better off the faster you accept this. Hypocrisy is normal amongst those who've already made up their minds to kill God. It's normal. So if you're exploring faith, let me land the dismount on this and explain it in detail. It is super tempting in the Western world right now to find somebody who calls themselves a Christian, they have bad behavior, and I go, ha, see, Christians are hypocrites. So all of Christianity is a joke. And I check that little box, declare victory very quickly, and then go back to playing Xbox. Go back to my philosophy professor at Sac State and tell him how awesome I did when I lit somebody up on Twitter. first problem if Jesus emptied his own tomb that is an objective reality claim separate from the behavior of anybody on earth period the tomb's empty or it's not secondly the claims of Jesus him saying I am God he says it just in the gospel of John alone he uses the divine name I am seven different times and that's symbolic of John Jesus might have said it 200 times we don't know Jesus' claims about himself are either true or not true. Again, has nothing to do with the behavior of somebody else. Third, most important, the central message of Christianity, the claim that he was the God-man who lived the perfect life we should have lived, but we didn't. He died the death we should have died, but now don't have to. That claim rests on Christ's moral perfection to be an acceptable offering before the Father not Greg Kaiser's holiness and moral perfection. Are you kidding me? You think two billion people, 20 centuries later, are building an entire worldview that crumbles when they do something wrong? What? That is not the type of faith that will sustain you. That's the type of faith that withers the moment things get hard not what we see from the martyrs you threaten to take their life away and they double down. Faith is in the righteousness of Christ alone, not in their own righteousness. So if you're investigating faith, I am begging you please, please, please do not take a really stupid, mindless trip to hell with a dumb little pseudo argument that somebody told you once online. Somebody else's hypocrisy has nothing to do with you doing business with God. Please do business with God. He is claiming not that you're a filthy sinner. God is claiming that we're all filthy sinners. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, first century pastor named Paul. All fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody. So the bad news is, yes, Christians think you're a sinner. Here's the good news. Real Christians also know that they are sinners. Christianity is one beggar running to another beggar, telling him where he found bread. Not, I have all the answers, I'm really smart, I'm holier than you. No. I was starving and I've just been fed. Let me tell you about him, his name is Jesus. John 4 says you can be an evangelist after a 10-minute conversation with Jesus, you can run away with none of your doctrine worked out, you don't know how to parse any Greek verbs, and you can go to people who know your junk, and you can say, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? The hypocrisy of somebody else has nothing to do with whether or not you're objectively guilty before God and need a savior. They're just not related at all. They're not related. Furthermore, you know what's really scary? Not for you, but for the Christian hypocrite you're upset about? Jesus said flat out, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So the person you're mad about, Jesus might be mad about them too. They might not be a Christian at all. They just go to church. So they could be in real deep water. And now, because they're going to hell from lying to themselves, you're going to go to hell too, lying to yourself about their behavior? Don't do that. Do not do that. This game is essentially, when you strip it all down, this game is trying to stand before God saying, I've never done anything wrong. I deserve to go to heaven based on my own behavior. That's the essence of this nonsense. Please don't do that to yourself. Please don't do that. Second blank. Before Jesus was crowned, he was cursed. Before Jesus was crowned, he was cursed. Verse 31. Actually, verse 30. Do you notice they didn't answer Pilate's question? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. That's dodging the question. Just so we know that's not a new behavior. Then take him away and judge him by your own law. Pilate just does not care about religious quabbles, right? And and who could blame him? Bigger fish to fry. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. So there's something here in the text that really any first century person would have understood, but especially Jewish, that we as 21st century Americans, it's lost. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone and then the parenthetical statement from John is this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. To 21st century person reading this in English, we're going, what does Romans doing it have to do with the method? What? Huh? Two things. One, Romans crucified. Two, Jews stoned to death. So there were times, when, when you study, there were times where the religious elite would gamble a little bit with whether or not Rome would be upset. There were actually many executions that happened. In extreme circumstances, Jews would go, but it was a stoning. They would stone somebody to death when they felt like it was particularly bad and it was particularly religious, aka we don't think Rome will actually care. So there were times where people got stoned to death for religious reasons, but it entirely went up and down based on the politics of the moment. That makes sense? Does that sound really human? Yeah, it does. Sounds really human to me. So to have Rome do it means execution through crucifixion because that's how they did things. So what this means is either the politics of the moment were not good for the Jews to carry out an execution of their own or their hatred for Jesus is so complete they want the worst possible death or both. Here's what the Jewish leaders, because they're uh, good Sunday school kids, here's what they know that you and I don't know. Let's go to Deuteronomy 21. First person in the hardback who gets there, would you please shout out a page number? Deuteronomy 21. Fifth book of the Bible, pretty close to the front. Deuteronomy 21. Okay, 166 if you're in the hardback. Thank you, guys. When people in the New Testament talk about the law, and you see the word the law with the L is capitalized, they're talking about the first five books of the Bible, and especially some of the stuff that's repeated here in Deuteronomy. And this is the law that God gave through Moses to the people of God and all of Jewish identity is at least theoretically built off of this. Sometimes it's built off of misunderstandings and misinterpretations, but they're trying. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 If someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and hung on a tree, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury the body that same day, for anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. In this way, you will prevent the defilement of the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. So these religious leaders calling for Jesus' death already believe that there is nothing, even more spiritually, there's nothing worse than a Roman death. Uh, Something linguistic. The term here, hung for a tree, is a bit of a junk drawer term that oftentimes is the same word used for impaled. The idea is that you had a really, really bad death. Um, The baker... In the book of Genesis, there are a baker and a cupbearer who have different dreams. They served Pharaoh. and okay. You'll see, depending on the translation, they'll say this same word, which could mean hung on a tree. It often means impaled. It just means you had a really, really bad day. It did not go well for you. Now, trivia time. Does God always explain to us why he says things? I had some real quick no's. Does God need to always tell us why He says things? I have a three and a half year old who would really, really like me to explain in detail why I say the things I say. And you know what? I have such a yearning to understand why I often try to answer Him. It doesn't work. (laughs) I'm doing my very best to put this on the bottom shelf for Gabriel, and it just doesn't work bro, you're gonna have to trust daddy on this one. Did God, in this exact same law, when he says, hey, when you use the bathroom, bury it, did he explain microbiology to humanity 3,000 years before we were able to grasp it scientifically? Did he explain the microbiology, or did he just say bury it? In this exact same law, he says, when you touch bodily fluids of any kind, or touch a dead body, you need to wash your hands under running water and you still ceremonially unclean for a day after that. Did he explain the microbiology of germs and disease or did he just say do it? There are all kinds of things in God's law and in God's commands that do not make sense at the time they are not explained to us at the time. We couldn't grasp the answer at the time. God said this to Job. This, this stuff's too wonderful for you. Manoah's wife, Manoah asks the angel of the Lord's name. Why are you ask my name? It's too wonderful for you. It's too big. It's too magnificent. It's not wrong that you ask. You're just not going to grasp it. What did we think of this text the first time God said it? Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Don't let the body stay up overnight. Take the body down immediately on that day. What did we think of that? He didn't say that about other methods of execution. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Again, first person there, shout out a page, please. Galatians 3. 972. 972, Thank you. Page 972. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Verse 10, Apostle Paul, first century pastor, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. So you're already in big trouble if you're trying to be good enough for God. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of law. That's called humans. Humans. All people are cursed because we don't obey every law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Two very different things he's saying. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. He did How do you do that? When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. God told us more than 1,400 years before Jesus came, He told us, there is no worse death than being hung on a tree. And you're also cursed by disobeying my law. And then he came and he died the death that he pronounced, not that we demanded. You guys know God killed God, right? We couldn't do something to him that he didn't permit. He just called the shot 1,400 years in advance, said how he was gonna die. And then Jesus, during his ministry, predicted multiple times how he was gonna die. And then he said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down and I'll take it back up again. And then the New Testament writers say, Hey, you know the curse for you not following the rules and the curse for being hung on the tree? Um, Those are the same thing. There was no way for you to know that when God gave you the first five books of the Bible. They're the same thing. God is going to die a horrifying death, not just a physically one, but a spiritually horrifying death. And he's going to take on the curse that you and I deserved. What's particularly sad, what's particularly heartbreaking about the Deuteronomy text is that there's a presumption that that man is hung by a tree because he was a murderer. What did Jesus do? Well, according to God's divine plan, you know what Jesus did? Every single sin of every man, woman, and child in the church, all of those sins, Jesus did those. It doesn't sound fair, does it? We know Jesus didn't do those. Why would God do this? Why is He choosing such an awful death? Why is He choosing to be counted among the guilty? Because one day he was going to be crowned, that's why. Because one day his church was going to fall on their face in front of him, throwing our crowns down at his feet, that's why. Because this was gonna please his father, that's why. Because he loves rebels like you and me, that's why. Because it was his plan from eternity past, that's why. Because love is not a thing that he does, it's something he is. That's why. Because he uses the weak and foolish things of this world to shame, to confound the strong and the wise. That's why. You don't have to tell a loving father to sacrifice for his children. Third blank. The first step to crowning Jesus is to love Him. First step to crowning Jesus is to love Him. Let's turn back to John 18. This trial before Pilate, this crazy conversation about whether or not he's the king, which transitions to a conversation about what is true. Oh my goodness, guys, this conversation never changes. The 21st century Western world is still having conversations about whether or not Jesus is allowed to say what Jesus said. (laughs) Whether he's God, whether he's in charge or not. (coughs) Excuse me. And this always leads to a conversation over where does truth come from? Because I'm going to quote Bible verses at you and you're going to be like, yeah, well, they made up the Bible in the third century at the Council of Nicaea. Like, okay, Dan Brown equipped you with your cheap argument. I'm sorry for being so disdainful. It's just that I don't like it when people go to hell because of two sentence long bullet points you were given in college you were not trained to think critically and see if that argument holds water, you're going to take that to your eternity? Are you kidding me? So I'm a little ticked. Just a little ticked. The conversation over the lordship of Christ always goes to a, where does truth come from? It has to, because we like using truth as the political football. Well, that's your truth, Greg. Uh, (laughs) I didn't make Jesus come out of his grave. So, no, it's not my truth. (laughs) I didn't write this. So, Pilate, cynically, we know it's cynically because Pilate walks away, he ends the conversation. What is truth? And he walks away. So we can hear this kind of grizzled veteran, tired of leading this rebellious religious minority that he's not excited about this particular post most likely. He probably wishes he was in Greece, probably wishes he was in Italy, uh, somewhere more important than this. Why this cynical statement about truth? Well, because of what Jesus had just said. Verse 37. Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Yes, my whole existence, the whole reason for Christmas, the reason I incarnated, my teaching ministry, all of it is to testify to the truth. All who love the truth, and this is what the Western world does not believe, here it comes. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. There are two verbs in that sentence. Love, and then recognize. And we like to think on this side of the enlightenment that I'm going to analyze the facts, I'm going to put God under a microscope, I'm going to think it through, and when I find it to be rational then I'll get passionate and get behind the cause. Even though there's no evidence whatsoever, this is really an impressive group of tissues. I just want you guys to know how much I love you and how much I love bringing the word, because wow. There is no objective evidence for all of humanity that we are objective. Psychologists call it confirmation bias. Our brain seeks whatever points of information we can find to reinforce what we already believe, to double down and not have to reopen that Pandora's box. I already settled that. I decided a long time ago. And this is why what's taught to a child in the first years of life is so critical. They kinda, we all try to fight to stay where we already think, where we already believe. We fight to stay there because change is hard. Changing my mind is hard. Changing my heart is hard. Jesus didn't say those who recognize the truth find themselves loving the truth, that their emotions follow behind. Jesus didn't say that. He said, You love the truth. And this is is what scares the modern mindset. Your passion is first, you love the truth and find yourself able to recognize it now. What? This, this shows us something that's far more real. Uh, I was told when I was being trained as a realtor that of all the sales jobs in the world, real estate is a really unique one, because I was told that when a couple comes to you and they want to buy a house especially if they're a young couple, first-time homebuyer or whatever, they said 95% of the purchasing decision has been made before they call a realtor. They've been thinking about it, they've been planning, they've been dreaming, and especially now the world's old apps and the websites, and they've looked at hundreds, and now there's data to show. You, 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 have looked at 220 homes before you call a realtor. 220 on average. Your emotions are all in, you have decided, and you want. And then the realtor gets to deal with the grisly reality that what you want is here and what you can afford is here. (laughs) No matter what kind of magic the lender tries to pull off, purchasing is an emotional thing. It's heart first. And then we use rationalizations to justify why we need a pool. Glaring at each other, no judgment. Goodness, people. (laughs) I have a pool in my backyard whenever it rains hard enough. Jesus said if you love the truth, you find yourself able to comprehend it and receive it. And this makes a lot more sense when we look at one of the central theses of the entire gospel. You know what John is saying to us? One of many things John is saying to us? Truth is a person. Truth is a person. It's not a concept, it's not an idea. For those of you who are with us now more than three years ago, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. The Logos, all knowledge. All information in the cosmos was there in the beginning. And that knowledge, that information that you say you seek, that information is God. You're still in university trying to find it. You're still on Wikipedia trying to find it. God is that logos. It's him. And he became flesh. His name is Jesus. Jesus. You're trying to answer every nook and cranny of life's questions and you're trying to do it without Jesus. That's the beginning of this gospel. Everything God had to say became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only begotten Son. Quit trying to build out your worldview apart from Jesus. It's not helping you. It's not serving you. The first most obvious objection to this assertion of Jesus that you love the truth first and then you're able to recognize it would be that that scares me I can just choose to love Jesus and then I'll get my questions answered later? This sounds like you're trying to sign me up for a cult, Greg. I just passionately decide that I love Jesus and I'm gonna figure out later how he fit all the animals on the ark. I'm gonna figure out later where Cain's wife came from. Like, figure out the age of the earth later. Like, I have questions And part of the prophetic ministry is saying tough things not because I'm angry at you, not because God is angry at you, but because there are dark things in your thinking and your heart that need to be smashed, okay? So here we go. When you said I do to your wife, you didn't know the first thing about her. Call me a liar. You knew she was pretty. That's what you knew. And you said I do, and you have spent years since learning who she is. Do not tell me that you cannot look into the behavior of Jesus Christ, the way that he treats lepers, the way he treats a woman who's been ceremonial and clean for 12 years, spent all her money on doctors, and has only gotten worse. Don't tell me you can't look at him, and don't tell me you can't love him. Don't tell me you can't adore the little bit of God that you can see. Don't tell me you can't fall in love and get married and discover later who he is. Oh, yes, you can. You've done it before. Your desire to have all of your questions answered is actually a desire to be God. So please just let it go. Just let it go. I have loved Jesus now by his grace for 32 years, and I have a growing list of things I'm gonna ask God when I get there. Because you search the scriptures and you go, it just doesn't look like God wants me to know right now. And that's okay. Love me, serve me, love and serve the world. Got you, let's go. I'll figure out where Cain's wife came from later. Not concerned, not concerned. Not concerned. I'm going to pray before I get any more out of control. <sighs> Lord Jesus, I have a desire, and I, I don't know if it's a fleshly proud desire to be a big deal in ministry, to have a awesome pulpit to have a great ministry. I don't know if it's that. God, I don't know if the desire is entirely spirit-born and it's holy and it's pure to see people come to you. Uh, I don't know, most likely, Lord, that my spirit and my flesh are at war with each other. But Holy Spirit, I want you to make us an evangelistic church. God, we who love you are all so tempted by the same cowardice. We are so aware, God, of the cultural norms of what you do and do not talk about in polite conversations. But heaven and hell are real and your beauty is too breathtaking to not tell someone. Holy Spirit, we're gonna need you to fill us because we confess we do not have the courage on our own to say what we ought to say, to serve who we ought to serve, to love the way we ought to love. God, our city right now is very cynical about where truth comes from because our country is, because the world is. Lord three years ago you put on our hearts some core values and some vision statements and I just want to ask you God that if they really are your vision for this church that you would take us there we do not have it on our own to become all that you have put before us we cannot go into the promised land so to speak on our own in our flesh we think that everything looks like giants And in our spirit, we know that you are the giant and you will conquer all that you desire for your glory, that your kingdom will expand and that we'll get to be a part of it. God, we want people to know you. We want them to find the greatest treasure of human existence, to know and be known by our loving creator Holy Spirit, make fall away anything that I said today out of a lack of control, out of a lack of sleep that was of the flesh, that was unhelpful, that was inaccurate. And help us to chew on John 18 all week long, treasuring it and mining it for its riches. God, for our groups that discuss the sermon help them in particular to chew on John 18 and to find greater blessing help our love to you toward you to grow help our love for each other to grow God and help our love for the world to grow in the saving name of Jesus we pray amen I'm here to give you the most exciting announcement of the whole year. Are you guys ready? But it's important. If you have email and check email, you've received, if you're a member of the church, you've received a ballot on Tuesday where you were able to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to our annual budget and to the approval of two new elders. I hope that you've already done that. If that's something you need to do in person on paper. Melissa, are you the point person? Okay, then you're gonna go see Melissa back up at the sign-up table, right here where I am pointing, so that you can get your ballot and vote. Uh, You need to be 16 years of age, member of the church in good standing, have been a member here for at least six months. You're not allowed to vote if you are dead. Um, I know that's allowed in some places. Uh, Your cat, is not allowed to vote either. That is a strict, strict rule. Okay? Melissa, anything else I'm forgetting? Okay. I love you very, very much. And I just wanna encourage you to really, really dig deep into John 18. No matter where you're at with Jesus, dig deep. Because Christ is revealing himself through this book. All right? You guys have a great week. Oh, I love to hear the song.